Hey, y'all. It's the NPR Politics Podcast. All right, depending on when you downloaded this episode, you may have heard an ad for the new HBO movie Confirmation. That movie tells the story of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas and his intense confirmation battle back in 1991. That was when a former employee, Anita Hill, claimed he sexually harassed her. So we have nothing to do with those ads you might have heard about the movie, but we want to do an episode about what happened in the Clarence Thomas confirmation hearings and why it still matters in a year with a Supreme Court seat up for grabs. Fair warning, we will talk candidly about multiple sexual harassment allegations, so this might not be a good episode for young ears. I'm Sam Sanders, campaign reporter. I'm Asma Khalid, also a campaign reporter. I'm Carrie Johnson, the justice correspondent. And I'm legal affairs correspondent Nina Totenberg. Welcome, Nina. Thank you. So got to say, no one at HBO asked us to do this. They don't even know that we are doing this. But there is a big reason that we're doing this because, Nina, you broke this story. Yeah, I did. (laughs) (laughs) And when I die, it doesn't matter what I will have done. The lead will say Nina Totenberg, uh, NPR legal affairs correspondent, who broke the Anita Hill Clarence Thomas story, died today. And it it won't matter that I've done many other things in my life, but that will be the lead. Everything you've done matters to me, Nina. <laughs> but there's a reason for that, Nina, because this this matter touched off an enormous controversy. Let's do a quick recap. There will be some listeners who have not a lot of heard our of this listeners case are before. Young. Yeah. yeah, they're young. They haven't. They I haven't. actually was talking to a friend about this podcast today. She saw the commercial for the movie with Kerry Washington and thought it was a commercial for Scandal, the current <laughs> show that Kerry Washington stars in. Um, and so, like. For folks that don't know this story or this case, Nina, Carrie, catch us up really quickly. Well, Clarence Thomas was a controversial nominee to the court. He was appointed by President George H.W. Bush to take the seat that had previously been occupied by Thurgood Marshall. And he was exactly the opposite of Thurgood Marshall in ideology. And the first hearing was a very calm but uninformative affair in which he professed to have no... Uh, commitments or ideas about almost anything. And after the committee had voted to approve him, uh, I broke the story. And the story is of some allegations uh, of, of sexual harassment. By a former by, employee? Well, by a, a woman who worked for him at the EEOC. Which is the? The Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. And But I, even I didn't really understand how big a deal this was going to be. And I remember walking into the Capitol thinking that once again, this would be a joint PBS-NPR live coverage of the hearing and we would be the only people there. And it was an insane asylum in there. Every network on the face of the earth was carrying this live. They carried it live even when the World Series was on. They preempted Wait, the World really? Series. <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. I mean, it was unbelievable. I mean, what did you break? Were you told... Were you tipped off that there were allegations of sexual harassment? I'd been hearing all summer long that there were women who said they were harassed by Clarence Thomas when he was at the EEOC and when he was at the Education Department. But I never could really prove it. And then I heard about this woman, Anita Hill, who was a law professor at the University of Oklahoma, who had been at Yale Law School with him, who was said to be a Republican, and who had complained in some way to the Judiciary Committee 
told the Judiciary Committee about this. Nina, she didn't want to come forward, though. No, they contacted, turns out they contacted her. They were investigating the same rumors I was hearing. The committee. The committee. Mm -hmm. And Biden, Joseph Biden, now Vice President Biden, who was chairman of the Judiciary Committee, the all-male Judiciary Committee, uh, didn't really want to do anything about this. And, and she didn't want to come forward. And that was, in some ways, understandable. Finally, Senators Kennedy and um, Leahy and some others, I think, went to him and said, look, we can't just leave this unexplored. You need to do something. And he sent, uh, he asked the White House to send the FBI to interview both Thomas and Hill. This is after the hearings had already begun uh, the first involving round Clarence yeah. Thomas. So this right. is remarkable. They're interrupting or in the intervening period, the FBI is now going out to interview the Supreme Court nominee and this woman law professor. It, it, we didn't know it was going on at the time. We had no idea. And then I'm sitting at the Judiciary Committee hearing where they are voting on Thomas. And I see that they all have the same like envelope. Hmm. And Biden starts talking about something about how uh, the confirmation process should not be about rank gossip or something like that. And I go, what? What are you talking about? Oh, so you were like, what is it? What is this? And I go out and I start kicking tires. And eventually I find out what it's about. So you I, found a source. I, I call up Anita Hill. She says to me she won't talk to me unless I have a copy of her affidavit. So you got it. I got it. And then I got her. And I actually held the story for a day and a half trying to get Biden to talk to me about what was going on and why they hadn't done anything about this. Would he talk to you? No. So after you came forward with your story, is that what prompted Hill to testify? Well, what? no, it's what prompted the What happened? You okay. know, it's an amazing... You don't recognize this now, but sexual harassment was a dirty little secret that most women had. But they didn't talk about it. They were embarrassed by it. It was a hindrance, not a help in any way. And now suddenly it gets popped into the open. And the other thing I should say is because nobody talked about it, I really had no idea that this would become a huge deal. But all of those sort of silent women, female experiences materialized in the fax machines vaporizing virtually and the phones exploding on Capitol Hill. So we're going to play some tape of that testimony that Hill gave on the floor of the U.S. Senate. Uh, the cut we're going to play is when she's talking about the time when Thomas supervised her when they both worked at the Department of Education. Let's play a bit now. After a brief discussion of work, he would turn the conversation to a discussion of sexual matters. His conversations were very vivid. He spoke about acts that he had seen in pornographic films involving such matters as women having sex with animals and films showing group sex or rape scenes. He talked about pornographic materials depicting individuals with large penises or large breasts involved in various sex acts. On several occasions, Thomas told me graphically of his own sexual prowess. Because I was extremely uncomfortable talking about sex with him at all, and particularly in such a graphic way, I told him 
that I did not want to talk about these subjects. What in the world? I was so I was in college at this time, Nina, and some of the details of her testimony and the allegations were uh, really uh, more than punchlines on college campuses in those days. I don't know that we need to go there, but the names of these films, the, the shocking, shocking nature of this conversation for a nominee for the Supreme Court. I remember sitting there and having to talk about a movie featuring a character who was named Long Dong Silver. Oh, my God. And I'm looking in the camera, and I'm... And the microphone is there, too. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, God, I hope my mother isn't watching. <laughs> yeah. This is, I can't, like, I've never actually heard tape of it. I was seven when this happened, it seems. Um, I'm My mind is still blown here in that little cut of tape. I mean, there. it also just makes you think, though, of how much, like, workplace culture has changed and what you were mm-hmm. suggesting earlier in terms of sort of acceptable Norms. Um, There's no way I would ever think it would ever at all be appropriate to talk about a thing like that at work. And if anyone that I worked with ever even thought about doing that, it'd be like a no-brainer. You're gone. It's over. It's done. Like, have things changed? If it's true. If it's, if it's true. true. If, if it's, it's true. true. And that's the question, right? So we also have some tape from this movie, which is sparking this conversation, right? Carrie Washington, star of the Shonda Rhimes show Scandal. She's playing Anita Hill. Wendell Pierce, uh, Bunk from The Wire. He is Clarence Thomas. Greg Kinnear is then-Senator Joe Biden, and here's a bit from the trailer. I deny every allegation against me today. This is political theater, and Thomas just performed. He is not, I'm not trying the to say victim. The things they'll be reporting will be shocking. I was not dishonest. Somebody who goes after a woman like this oh. with no holds barred. This is a street fight, Joe. This is a circus, a high-tech lynching. We have half a nation to convince. You're not going to believe this. There's another woman. You got me bringing up a bunch of bogus dirt. Stop it. I've heard enough of these lies. They don't care. They only want to win. Whoa. Now, that phrase high-tech lynching was actually uttered by Clarence Thomas Mm -hmm. in testimony. Um, You've seen the movie? I have seen the movie, yes. We're going to talk more about it in a bit, but is it pretty true to life? The basics are true. You know, it's like all movies like this. It compresses events, and there's some, one or two scenes that I don't think ever happened, but it's outside of the hearing room, and it's pretty true. We should note, though, that several uh, people still in Washington, including senators and people who were aides to the committee at that time, are mounting a vigorous protest to this movie. It's not clear that they've seen it, but I'm getting a lot of emails from people saying they want to put up a website later this week in advance of the movie airing to uh, contest the depiction oh at the Is time. because, like, members of the Judiciary Committee feel that they were unfairly portrayed? Yeah. Here's or the thing. the mo- In the movie, she comes out quite well. And Clarence Thomas comes out quite well. How, do, how in the world yeah, does he come out well? Well, well, no, you have, you, you have to decide. You, you know, they each, each sound like they're telling the truth. Huh. But one they, of them But is, one, of, one them of them can't be. One of them like, can't be. And, and you do see her taking a lie detector test. Which she passes, right? Which she passes. But and it, he declines. And one. he declines. But as I said, she actually comes out well, and he comes out well. They come out with their dignity intact, okay. telling a credible story. The people who do not come out well are the Judiciary Committee. The Republicans uh, are vicious, uh-huh. and the Democrats are hapless, and then Senator Biden is totally gutless. I mean, mm-hmm. why didn't they push more? You have Democrats who, you know, ostensibly would not have wanted Clarence Thomas in the Supreme Court. Why didn't we have more pushback from Joe Biden or any other 
Democratic members. Well, one big reason might be that Ted Kennedy, who um, self-described lion of the Senate, who might have been the man to do a lot of this speaking, had been dogged by allegations of mistreatment of women for decades. And his nephew uh, in 1991 was uh, accused of rape, later acquitted that year. But the whole family was in the middle of this controversy. And he was in some ways silenced by both his own history and that of his family. So we have some audio of that committee uh, in action. Um, At that time, he was still in the GOP. Senator Arlen Specter from Pennsylvania. Here's a clip of the things that he said uh, during the question of Ms. Hill. Professor Hill, you said that you took it to mean that Judge Thomas wanted to have sex with you. But in fact, he never did ask you to have sex, correct? No, he did not ask me to have sex. He did continually pressure me to go out with him, continually. You are not now drawing a conclusion that Judge Thomas sexually harassed you. Yes, I am drawing that conclusion. That well, is then my... I don't understand. Pardon me? Then I don't understand. Page three. It was my opinion at the time, and is now my opinion, that Ms. Hill's fantasies about sexual interest in her were an indication of the fact that she was having a problem being rejected by men she was attracted to. Ooh. Wow. <laughs> so obviously that Wait, didn't... <laughs> explain that. Well, there, I don't... How... <laughs> the Republicans had a theory of, uh, what was the word, erotomania or something like that, where uh, that this is all, a f- that women have fantasies and that she was fantasizing this. Because, you see, there is no way that they were both telling the truth. One of them was lying. So obviously this did not go over well with thousands or millions of women who were watching this on TV screens and hearing it on the radio at the time. Well, listen, there were, this became a cultural phenomenon. Saturday Night Live did a hilarious skit. And How do you make this hilarious? Well, because they, they a hilarious skit where they played the, the Judiciary the, Committee. The Judiciary uh, Committee. Okay. And guess who played the role of Senator Paul Simon? Who? Al Franken. Now Senator from Minnesota. (laughs) (laughs) And it was on Murphy Brown. It was the subject of dinner table conversations and fights. And at the end of it all, I have to say that the public basically, by a vote of the polling data, showed the public believed him, not her, by about two to one. And within two years, that had flipped the other way. And in oh. fact, Nina, many women were actually elected to the Senate and the Congress in the, in, in the aftermath right. of all of this. It right? was called the Year of the Woman. There were four women elected to the Senate, mm. uh, one Democratic senator from Illinois who should have had no problem being reelected, was knocked off by Carol Mosley Braun, uh, who was a nobody really in Democratic politics in Illinois and was elected to the Senate in place of him. She knocked him off in a primary. Wow. First black woman is, to serve in the Senate. Yeah. yeah. I guess when you were saying that the public overwhelmingly believed Clarence Thomas, um, I mean, we heard that tape out of the Judiciary Committee. I, I guess, I mean, why? Can you kind of like walk us back? What was it that was so compelling about his he was case? So, he was so furious and so indignant and so hurt by these accusations that it was hard to believe you could be that convincing and not be telling the truth. That was what was so, they were both very convincing witnesses. How would any member on this committee, any person in this room, or any person in this country would like sleaze said about 
him or her in this fashion, or this dirt dredged up in this gossip and these lies displayed in this manner? How would any person like it? The Supreme Court is not worth it. No job is worth it. I'm not here for that. I'm here for my name, my family, my life, and my integrity. I think something is dreadfully wrong with this country. But he had allies who knew what they were doing, who were unified in what they were doing, who scheduled things so that more people saw his testimony than her testimony, so that the rebuttals didn't come at the rational moments, and where, you know, Joe Biden basically got shoved around by the Republicans. And so what made it change then? What made people feel, you know, so empathetic towards him, but then a couple of years later decide, I guess, in the court of public opinion that maybe she was telling the truth? It, it's hard to tell. You know, it may have been affected by the fact that he turned out he portrayed himself as somebody who was very different than what he turned out to be on the Supreme Court. He he famously, in the first hearings, was talking about African-Americans sentenced to prison terms and that he, often sitting as a judge, would see people being brought into the courthouse and saying, there but for the grace of God go I. Mm -hmm. And then he turned out to be the most conservative member of the court on criminal justice issues, and uh, his views on race are not generally popular in the black community. They're not totally unpopular, but he, you know, he's against affirmative action. So Justice Clarence Thomas ended up being quite different from the person he sought to portray at his at his hearing. Nina, didn't it also um, make a difference that a lot of women came forward with their own allegations of sexual harassment after Anita Hill testified here? Yeah, but the Senate Judiciary Committee Democrats, because remember, they controlled the committee, they didn't put them on. They were afraid they'd be discredited. They wanted to end this show. They just wanted to get out of Dodge. And Famously, the, a whole bunch of women from the House of Representatives marched across to the Senate floor and stood there glaring at everybody. In the movie, they go into the lunchroom. But I think my memory is it was the Senate floor. And they were just taking the skin off of these guys for not treating this seriously. How did Clarence Thomas address those specific allegations, those specific things he said? We know that there's that iconic moment of him saying it's a high-tech lynching, but, like, was he ever forced to speak to the specific allegations? And and if so, did he just say they're flat-out wrong or they were misinterpreted? Like, no, how do you nev- swing that? He he never said uh, something was misinterpreted. I don't. That's He said this never happened. None of it. None of it ever happened. So he said it was all made up. He didn't say it was made up. He said it never happened. What does that mean? And that, well, that that she is telling, she's not telling the truth. Got to point out, you know, within the black community, Nina, at this point when this case is going on, some older black folks were... They weren't just older. Not just older, just black people, period, were angry that Anita Hill would bring public shame on this commendable, accomplished black man. Yes, and that was part of the the polling. And it was particularly men, but women too. But it, it I don't think it was just older black folks. For any senator running in this in the south, for example, this was a very tricky line to walk if you were a democratic senator because you got a lot of black votes in order to get elected. And yet there were some black folks who didn't approve of her. 
and the majority white people were really mad. But guess what? The Democratic senators who actually stuck with her did better. But it did change the entire real politique about sexual harassment in the workplace. Did it create a more open environment with which to come forward with those allegations? Absolutely. The number of cases almost doubled in just two years huh. in the, uh, that were filed at the EEOC. Workplaces began to actually have rules about this, which they hadn't Wait, there before. there weren't rules before? No. Oh, now Lord. we have to watch those videos. <laughs> uh, but there were rules. There were grievance procedures that people you could go to to discuss it. And the other thing is, of course, that the Judiciary Committee had was all male, had always been all male. And they made very sure that there were women on the committee right away. Yeah. I have one, an, another question kind of about race in this case. Um, Thomas's kind of most soaring moment in his testimony is when he calls all of this show a, quote, high-tech lynching. And it seemed to be this moment where he was playing the race card or talking about race in a very straightforward way and acknowledging the way that race affected his confirmation hearing. But as a Supreme Court justice, he is very prone to go against other justices who argue that race plays a big factor in the lives of marginalized communities. Um, is there a disconnect there? Is uh, It seems weird for someone to so forcefully speak about race in this one space and then be the kind of justice he is on the court now. But, you know, he speaks very powerfully about race in affirmative action cases. But he always felt that he was labeled as somebody who didn't do well, who shouldn't really be there, who was there only because of his race, when in fact he'd worked very hard to get where he was. So in that sense, he felt and feels, I think, that affirmative action only puts a stigma on people in college and law school, for example. And he doesn't acknowledge the potential benefits of giving somebody a leg up who may not have gone to Exeter or Eton or uh, Andover and doesn't have that kind of an education and therefore doesn't do as well, for example, on college boards. So you broke this story on a Sunday morning, correct? Right. All right, let's hear some of it. It was uh, Sunday, October 6th, 1991 on NPR. You had an interview with Anita Hill who talked about the allegations against Clarence Thomas and why she didn't come forward sooner. This is her on the phone. Well, he made a statement about his behavior that if I ever did disclose it, that it would be enough to ruin his career. My response was that I really just wanted to leave the experience behind me. I just wanted to get out. Hill says that back in the early 1980s, she told only one person about what was happening to her. So HBO wanted you to reenact that? They wanted me to... You know, this was a regular piece, which had, you know, sections. No, it was a great piece. <laughs> so uh, they wanted me to read the script so that they would have me, like, in front of a microphone. And they also wanted me to reenact my memory of uh, the questions I asked her. So I would be, um. they could have me asking her questions on the phone the first time we talked and things like that. And I said, uh, we don't do that at NPR. That's that's called pretend news. <laughs> <laughs> Snaps for Nina. Good on you. And they kept they kept saying, well, could we do that? How about just reading? I said, no, um, you, you weren't there at the time, so I'm sorry, we can't do it. Did they use the archive audio? 
They used archive audio of me mm -hmm. in the piece, and you hear actually Leanne Hansen, who was the host then, introduced the piece, and then you hear me for, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 seconds. And then there's another moment earlier in the movie where I call her, but of course it's not me really. And who played you? <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't actually know who played me, but she answers the phone and you hear this voice on the phone say, Miss Hill, this is Nina Totenberg from NPR or from National Public Radio or whatever it was. And the voice sounds nothing like me or the voice you hear later when the piece is on the air. In fact, I sort of have a Texas twang. Oh. <laughs> Everyone wishes they did. <laughs> oh, man. So have you ever talked to Anita Hill in the interim years? No. I tried at one point. I wrote to her, and I didn't hear back. I don't even know if she got the letter. Um, and I've always felt kind of ambivalent about it. You can imagine this is the kind of story where people always ask you, so who did you believe? And the answer, if there is one, is that I'm not going to give it. Uh, you know, okay. I was just, I was pilloried during this. I had one of the great stories of any reporter's life. I had worked very hard to get it. And the cost was enormous in terms of negative publicity and people trashing me a lot and senators yelling at me. At one point, I had a driver at Nightline who went around the the corner stopped and he said to me, you know what Alan Simpson was yelling at me about? He said, lady, you better get a gun. Wow. So, I, I, and I'm a human being like everybody else. I, it was extremely upsetting. And I, I can't imagine what it would be like today. All I know is that I, my voicemail was filled every morning by the time I got in. Yeah. From who? Oh, people who were really saying the kinds of things that I don't read uh. on social media. So you got some information about this story from someone. You've never revealed the source? Or sources. Or sources. Ooh. Are you willing to? You can tell me now, Nina. I didn't even tell my lawyer when they subpoenaed me. I've never told my husband. I am taking this one to my grave. Okay. Well, one follow-up on that, though. <laughs> did, did you reach out to potential sources, or did they reach out to you first? Can you say that? I reached out, okay. actually. Because, okay. of, because of what Biden said. I reached in, out because I, w I was so puzzled by the behavior on that the committee. the file when folders or whatever. The, the, they all had the same uh. envelope and, and Biden saying this weird thing. So I started. Your spidey senses. Yeah. Wow. I, started, I started, you know, shaking the trees and things started to fall out of the trees. Well, I mean, I just think about being in your shoes. I would have been scared out of my mind. So just to, to just to think about how you handled all of this so well and so bravely, I'm honored to work in the same newsroom with you. <laughs> all Ditto. I can say is it's, that's so sweet of you. It's very lucky that I was not your age, Asma, that I was not <laughs> in my 20s or even my early oh, Nina, 30s. You, under, you uh, underaged me, but thank you. Or, or even <laughs> in my early 30s. How old were you when this was happening? I was in my in my 40s. Okay. okay. And so I... I'd so had you a, weren't scared. You were I was scared. I was plenty scared. Oh. Eventually, I was plenty scared. But, but, I had a lot of experience by then. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So on there was on the night after I broke the story, I was on Nightline, and Senator Simpson was calling me unethical and a lot of other things. And I I could I just watched the clock, and then I got the floor at about forty five seconds till the end of the 
o'clock. So yeah. Nina, and I and I said what I wanted to say, and I what I said was, if you folks on the Judiciary Committee had done your job, I wouldn't have had to do my job, so that there was oh. a, something for you to that there was something for that you should have investigated. You didn't do it, so it ends up in my on on yeah. our air, and you blame me. You should have done your job. Wow. I have to say, people did try after the fact to get figure this out. Some think they did. Jane Mayer and Jill Abramson, two very fine reporters, wrote a very good book about this. There were lots of books. Was written. there a consensus reached from any of these books? About no. That? Does the film help clear anything up? It, no. I don't think it clears <laughs> it. I mean, <laughs> most, like, I just want the truth. You know, yeah, that's, <laughs> see, now you're back where I was. Uh for lots of people, including at least half of them in this studio, they don't really know very much about this. But it was a very important moment in our modern history, and it changed dramatically the way we deal with sexual harassment claims, and it did change the way we deal with sex sexual allegations in public. I would I have to tell you that I've been in Washington a long time, and there was a time when senators would cheerfully chase interns around a desk. Uh, there are correspondents here f- to whom this happened, oh and my God. and nobody ever thought of reporting that. I'm and I'm glad that's changed. Okay, well, that's probably or or Carrie and I would have to come out with a that's gun. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's a wrap. We'll see you Friday for our weekly roundup. There is a Democratic debate Thursday night, so we'll talk all about that. Until then, catch us on Twitter or write the show at nprpolitics at npr.org. I'm Sam Sanders, campaign reporter. I'm Asma Khalid, also campaign reporter. I'm Carrie Johnson, the justice correspondent here at NPR. And I'm NPR legal affairs correspondent Nina Totenberg. This was a great conversation. Thank you, Nina. It's a long conversation. We'll cut it down. Don't say that. They can't hear that. All right. Thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast.